Give me another one, Tim. <laughs> Your mama's so dumb, she went to the movies. It says 17 and under, not admitted. She went home and got 18 of her friends. Your mama's so fat. She, she irons her drawers in the driveway. <laughs> Your mama. Your mama's so old, she got Roman numerals on her social security card. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Motown Philly podcast. I am Tim Golden here with my co-host, Jason Hall. And welcome to episode 13 of the Motown podcast, which is titled, Jason politics and communication politics and communication before we get into our subject for this episode i just want to say how grateful i am for all of all of our listeners those of you who are out there listening and making us a part of your daily routines jason and i do not take that for granted we're just so humbled and grateful by you subscribing and downloading our episodes and sharing them with your family and friends jason i think about it and i just get overwhelmed because our listeners are so awesome and they're such good folk and they're people who really support us and I just want to say thank you. And Jason, I know you want to offer some gratitude as well. Always, always. All, all of you guys who take time out of your day to spend time with us and listen to some of our thoughts, some of our musings, musies, and some of our um, just heartfelt imaginations of how we can be better or how we can be more mindful. And you said... You know what? I I I, I want to rock with Tim. I want to rock with Jason. And what they what they say connects with me. So, and the fact that you listen to that and you share it, and we see the analytics, and we are overjoyed. So, um, we're humbled, and we're appreciative, and very grateful. Yes, thank you all so so very much. It's hard to believe, Jason, but this is episode 1313, lucky number 13. For those of you who are superstitious and believe in, in luck, if you don't believe in luck, then it's just number 13, right? But we don't think there's anything unlucky about this episode because we think that coming out of and for a lot of political candidates staying in this election season, some of them have runoffs and there's going to be court challenges and all that kind of stuff. And we'll let all that play out. But we are talking about politics and communication. How does politics influence our communication? How does our communication influence politics? Mm-hmm. Can communication influence politics or is politics this monster that is not possible to tame so that it will impact communication before communication will impact it? Let's get into it, Jason, and let's start to talk about some of these questions. If I could, I'd like to maybe frame our conversation by talking about 
some philosophy here. And I'm thinking about the, the philosopher Aristotle, who wrote a treatise on ethics mm-hmm. that for him was a, here's a $15 word, folks, propodeutic. That's a fancy, that's a fancy way of saying preparatory. Mm-hmm. His his ethics was a propodeutic, P-R-O-P-A-D-E-U-T-I-C, propodeutic to his treatise on politics. And this is interesting because Aristotle essentially said that you can't really be a good citizen until you're a good person. Now, I want that to sink in for a minute. In other words, ethics should always precede politics. Mm -hmm. What we do in public life should take place against the backdrop of how we live our private lives, Mm -hmm. our personal lives. What kind of people are we? Aristotle makes the point that politics divorced from virtue can be a dangerous game because it becomes all about self-interest. But if we are virtuous people, if we are virtuous people, that means we have a tendency to operate not from either extreme, but instead we tend to find virtue, which exists at a midpoint between deficiency and excess. Jason, I'm going to open it up in just a second, but I want to give an example here that I think will help set the tone. So suppose that you are, I don't know, an avid skateboarder. Jason, and suppose that the city of Memphis, where you live, has just passed an ordinance that outlawed skateboarding. Mm -mm. You are so upset by this that you become afraid and you destroy your skateboard and you urge all of your fellow skateboarders to do the same and you stay in the house and you never come outside again because you're afraid over overly vigorous enforcement is going to cause you to get arrested for violating the ordinance and go to prison. So you become a recluse. So let's put that aside. Another reaction that you have, or you could have is to say, I can't believe they did this. And you gather some of your fellow skateboarders and you take up arms and you go to the next city council meeting and you hold the city council hostage until at gunpoint, until they repeal the anti-skateboarding ordinance. Now, in one situation, right, Mm -hmm. you are exemplifying cowardice. In another situation, you're just downright reckless. But suppose you did this. Suppose you heard about the anti-skateboarding ordinance and you decided to gather together your skateboarding friends 
form a Skateboarders Association of Memphis, circulate a petition, appear as a group in solidarity before the Memphis City Council and make arguments as to why the skateboarding ordinance, anti-skateboarding ordinance should be repealed, right? If you did that, you were neither a recluse or working with reckless abandon. Right. Instead, you found the virtue of courage at a midpoint between a deficiency of cowardice and an excess of recklessness. Right. If, if you want to be generous, Jason, can I have $20? Can you loan me $20? No. No. Uh, that's being stingy or miserly. On the other side, uh, hey, Tim, do you need $1,000? i gladly give it to you. That's being a prodigal or uh, a spendthrift. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jason, do you have $20 you could loan me? Sure, Tim, I do. Here it is. If you can pay me back, fine. If not, don't worry about it. That's generosity. So virtues of generosity and courage are found at a midpoint. And mm-hmm. Aristotle says it's not until we master virtue in our personal lives mm-hmm by operating in moderation, seeking virtue, that we can be good citizens. By that standard, I challenge you, Jason. Go on Twitter and tell me how many people on Twitter should really be involved in in politics. Mm -hmm. By that standard. Right. What are your thoughts on all this, Jason? No, I think this is a fascinating conversation because especially in the light of what just happened this past week with having the mid mid elections um the midterm elections like we hear so much chatter if you will about politics and somehow when you don't like i love the fact that you've given us a little history listen y'all when tim gets into his bag about about uh philosophy which is, if you didn't know by now, he's a philosophy professor at Walla Walla. And one of the things that that often draws our conversation, and this is when we're not on podcast, it always comes, especially when we're having deep, deep just deeper conversations, deep, trying to find meaning of what's going on in everyday life. Tim drops what he just dropped. Uh, this is not the first time he said this, and he probably didn't do too much studying uh, about like a lot of research coming into this because he just walks with this type of knowledge. <laughs> so um, we are, we're all, all uh, better people just, just cause Tim exists and able to share what he, what he, what he has. And me, on the other hand, we get to send, I get to synthesize what he says and, and break it down. into some functional function, functional things that we can, that we can chew on a little bit better. And I think that's that's our yin and yang at at its finest. But when you hear talking of politics in this day and age and you try to think about, you know, if if you're trying to be reflective, how in the world? Let me be a little bit more harsh. How in the hell did we get to this point to where politics have arrived to where they are? And when Tim helps to center us 
as to where, and he's going to do a little bit more of that as we continue to talk about this conversation of politics and communication, giving us some specific origins or some, or even some a mind framing of the word politics and where it came from. And to understand, Tim says that this word politics, like it, it's it's at its best at at midpoint. But when you think and look at our politics these days, it's it's almost who can be farther. It's on one side of the other, like and it's and it's so me against you, and it's so you're not with me. You, I'm therefore I'm against you, and it's just like whose side are you on? And that was never the true intention of what the philosophical terminology of what politics should really be. It should be virtuous. It shouldn't be polarizing is what Tim is trying to say, but it's so entrenched in this day and age in a polarized atmosphere or environment that really takes us away from being our best selves, not as individuals, but being our best selves as a nation. And if it continues, woe unto us. So Tim, let's march a little bit deeper into this word called politics, if you will. Sure, sure, Jason. That's right. And and thank you for all those nice things you said about me. I started looking man. around. I was like, who are he talking about? <laughs> you the man, you the man. But but anyway, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. So so as we as we consider this, it's it's important to remember that there's there are at least two senses of this word politics. So the word emerges from the Greek word polis, P-O-L-I-S, which means the city. Mm-hmm. And let me just before I get into the words, uh, the word politics and, and sort of talk about what that means and what it means and then what it means for us today. I just want to reinforce something I said earlier, mm-hmm. which is we should never forget that Aristotle tells us that there is an ethics that must precede politics. I love that. And we talked about ethics last week, so you can definitely go there. Yes. Um, Excuse me. Extent. Mm-hmm. That's right. Excuse me. I had to clear my throat there a moment ago. I'm sorry. So so we have an ethics that has to precede the politics. And so last week we talked about ethics and communication, mm-hmm. right? This week we're talking about politics and communication. And what I want to underscore to to reemphasize the the sad portrayal that Jason just articulated of our politics today and how divisive it is, is that I would submit that one of the reasons why our politics are so bad today is because we have completely bypassed ethics and gone straight to politics. Mm. In other words, we have very little regard for the type of people who we are in terms of our moral character, moral fiber, etc. And we have separated politics from ethics in the interest of power. And stay there. Stay there. Yes. Go ahead, Jason. Based on what we've been talking about thus far, leading up to where we are, stay there, Tim, don't leave there. But there's a powerful point that I want to bring out based on what you just said. We have lost who we are. 
the primary format and and foundation of what you and I have been laying for the past 12 episodes is like, we can't be our best selves as individual communicators if we don't know ourselves. Now you push that forward to a a collective body and you just said, because we have lost ourselves and don't truly know in which or from where we speak or from whom we're speaking, from to like we and therefore bypassed a certain element that is important of expression we end up in a mess i'm sorry go ahead no no you're right jason we end up in a mess this is why aristotle says in the politics and in the ethics if as a personal matter you still fly off the handle and get upset over things that that bother you and you are overly angry or you tend to go to extremes you have no business being involved in public life you imagine that imagine imagine the self-regulation of one's moral character being held to the standard of if i mistreat my family how can i be trusted to care for the public. Hmm. And hmm. this is why the ethics is a propedeutic or a preparatory text to the politics, because the individual is unfit to rule the polis, the city, if the individual cannot rule himself or herself. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I want to talk a little bit about politics with a with a lowercase p mm-hmm. and then i want to talk about the political with the capital p so we talk about politics right it's midterm right. election season uh, i know Raphael warnock and herschel walker are going to be in a runoff there's a couple other races that may also be runoffs in a few weeks and whatever the case may be in the end what we have now that we call politics with a lowercase p are terms like Democrat, Republican, independent, progressive, conservative, etc. That's ideology. Those are ideologies. And what we find in our politics, lowercase p, are extremes. We find the extreme left. And we find the extreme right. Mm -hmm. And what does Aristotle say? If you can't choose the virtue of courage or generosity in your personal life, what makes you think you're going to be able to govern the city and render wise public policy that is at the end of That's not at the end of either extreme, Mm -hmm. but rather is at the midpoint. Mm -hmm. We can't do that. Mm -hmm. So so that's politics, Mm -hmm. right? With a lowercase p. And people may or may not be involved in politics. You may or may not be involved with your local Democratic Mm -hmm. Party, Republican Party, grassroots political organization, whether it be on the far left or on the far right. You know, we we are not, you know, we may or may not be involved in politics, but everyone 
is involved in the political with the capital P. Mm-hmm. Here's why. It's because the political is a much broader space that consists of human beings arranged and organized under an authority that has the capacity to make law and enforce law. That is the political. And everyone is involved in the political. And what gets difficult. I need you to tell, say that definition again, whether sure. the same way or differently, but say that definition sure. again. I think that's important for everybody to understand that they are under. Sure. The, words, po- the, the, political. The, the political is a space in which people are organized and arranged in a society under an authority that has the capacity to make law and enforce law. That is the political. And while everyone might not be involved in politics with a lowercase p, Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, left, right, independent, etc., everyone is certainly involved in the political. And the question about politics and communication, a lot of it has to do with the intrusion of the political, lowercase p, uh, I'm sorry, of politics, lowercase p, into the political so that the few people who are involved in politics with a lowercase p end up, whether they are good people or not, communicating in ways that foster the extremities at the expense of virtue in the middle, and then everyone is adversely affected in the political. So whether you're involved in the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or the Green Party or the Tea Party or whatever your political affiliation or persuasion is, the people who are involved in politics with a lowercase p, whether they're good people or not, are in are the ones involved in the space that we call the political that affects everybody. And if the folks involved in politics are given to extremes, now all of a sudden we end up with laws that are affect everyone that are unjust. We mm-hmm. end up with a political space in which there will be oppression. Mm-hmm. We end up with a with with the political being a place that is infected by the moral deficiencies of people who have bypassed their personhood and jumped right into the political fray with their extreme views and all extreme left wing views, extreme right wing views. It doesn't matter. One of the things I like to say is that as a black man, I'm not welcome by the left or the right. I know what the right wants to do. The right wants to demonize me and tell me that I'm a danger and so forth. And the far left wants to do the same thing by telling me that because I'm a man, I'm inherently toxic and I I need to somehow repent of my male privilege. I'm still trying to figure out how male privilege applies to black men. 
because I'm mm-hmm. scratching my head wondering how privileged was George Floyd as Derek Chauvin's knee was on his neck? Mm. How how privileged was Michael Brown as his corpse lay dead in the street? That's mm. another conversation for another time. Sure. But the point I'm making here is, Jason, I think there's this dynamic with politics and communication that we're in which politics with a small p is driving the political space with a capital P when it should be the other way around. Right. Right. Let's get more texture to political. um, Because you gave us the definition and I'm seeing it right now. Political is the umbrella that houses politics. Right. Yes. Help help us understand a little bit more about where political comes from who came up with that like political from what you and from what i know i think of political as being related to lowercase politics if you will Mm -hmm. but political from what i'm hearing you say it's more it sounds like it's the people it sounds like it is the people and its governance which is what you said but Let's unpack that because political from what we're accustomed to doesn't sound like what you're describing it as. Right. So there are several um, when we talk about the political, Mm -hmm. um, we're talking about, again, that space in which people are organized and arranged in a society under an authority that has the capacity to make law and enforce law. Right. Mm -hmm. And when we think about where the political comes from, there's there are several theories in political philosophy about that. So there's one theory that comes from a British philosopher named Thomas Hobbes. Mm -hmm. And Thomas Hobbes says that the reason we have government and the reason we have the political is so that we don't kill each other, because according to him, In the absence of law, if human beings are left to their own devices, we will literally destroy one another. In his great treatise called Leviathan, Thomas Hobbes is famous for his statement that the life of man is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. So he has a very pessimistic anthropology. That is to say, he has a very pessimistic account of what a human being is and how a human being relates in the world to other human beings. So the political or the founding of an entity called the state that governs human beings is a, is an absolute necessity because it prevents us from eliminating one another. Basically it's, it's a mechanism of self-preservation. That's where the political comes from. Very insightful. But then if you ask somebody like John Locke, uh, who's also a British philosopher, what he's going to argue is the total opposite of Hobbes, Mm -hmm. that human beings are not inherently bad or evil, but that instead human beings are inherently free and we're equal and we're rational. And because we're free, equal and rational, we have very um, limited resources 
without government, because if a dispute comes up over a property, for example, since you're equal to me and I'm equal to you, who decides who gets the property? There's no one to make that decision. So what John Locke ends up saying is, okay, we need to leave what he calls the state of nature because there are certain inconveniences. There's no one to make law because we're all free and equal. There's no one to interpret law because we're all free and equal. And there's no one to enforce law because we're all free and equal. So we leave the state of nature and we form a contract with an entity that we create called the state. And that social contract says to the state, we will relinquish some of our freedom to you as long as you agree to protect our natural rights to life, liberty, and property. As you might be able to tell, that life, liberty, property thing is not quite what Thomas Jefferson said. Thomas Jefferson interpreted it as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But the point here is basically uh, the same thing, that mm -hmm humans the the political with a capital p mm -hmm. comes from this this hypothetical state of nature in which everyone is free and equal and government becomes a necessity because of that so whether your anthropology of human beings is optimistic as mm -hmm. it is with lot or pessimistic as it is with thomas hobbes on either end we end up with this entity called the state that we, the people, have authorized to make and enforce laws to keep us safe and to protect what we believe are certain natural rights of life, liberty, and here in America, the pursuit of happiness. Let, let's go one more because I don't think you're going to bring this out, but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to see if I can get you to kind of speak on this one, too. We've talked about this before, surely. And my memory is is not as good as yours, but I do remember that there was a third there was a third philosophy, more spiritual, but it still had had its credence in understanding what political, what really, what the political really meant. Can you share that with us briefly, briefly, please? So I think what you might be referring to is in the Judeo-Christian tradition, Thank you. when you study, uh, if you study the Bible or if you pay attention again, and whether you believe in the Bible or not, doesn't right. really matter. I think no. to either Jason or me, mm -hmm. but just in terms of the, if even if you saw the scriptures just as a literary document, right. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you will find is that in the Genesis story, the political is clear through and through you have Adam and Eve who are a community of persons Mm -hmm. arranged in a society and organized under an authority God that has the capacity to make law. Don't touch that tree and enforce it. The day you eat of that tree, you're going to die from Genesis to revelation in the Bible. And again, you don't have to believe in it, but even if you look at it in the literary sense, the notion of a God having a kingdom right? The kingdom of God. From Genesis to Revelation, there is political language. And the political language is frankly overwhelming. In fact, when you study the prophets in the Bible, whether they be major prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah or minor prophets like 
Daniel or Obadiah or or Micah use or Amos, what you see is a God who is condemning people for mistreating the most vulnerable members of society in this space that we call the political. So the political is something that in religious terms or even in non-religious terms, it involves you whether you like it or not. And that's a common thing, period. <laughs> when you're born, you're born into the political. So my point is to for us to bring out what you said, and I'm not sure if you really want to go here, mm -hmm. but I think it's important for people to really understand this idea of when you're born, you belong to you belong to a to a society of of and that society is humanity and it is governed naturally by and if, and if we that's right jason and if we work backwards from society the first society you're born into is your family family so it's it for aristotle it's the family and then beyond the family it's the village Mm -hmm. And then beyond the village, it's the city. Mm -hmm. So if we think of it as getting progressively bigger and bigger, we are born into political spaces. We are born into the political, whether we like it or not. So we might not be interested in the political, but the political is always interested in us. And the kind of caustic communications that we have, I think, in contemporary political life. And all you have to do is go on Twitter. All you have to do is spend 10 minutes on, on Twitter with some midterm election, and you'll have people from the left castigating people from the right and people from the right castigating people from the left. And you'll see the extremes play themselves out. And it's all a bunch of nonsense because we don't really make any progress. And that's because we have set aside our personhood in the interest of gaining political power. And if it think about how much better off we would be, if people said it's more important for me to be a good person than for me to have power, because if I have power and I'm not a good person, mm -hmm. then I'm going to be in office governing the affairs of the political with a capital P, mm -hmm. and my governance will skew the laws in such a way as to injure my fellow human beings. Jason, I'll say this. The separation of ethics from politics is as injurious as the separation of sex from love, mm, which we call, which we call in religious, in the Judeo Christian tradition, we call that fornication. Mm, mm, mm. And the reason why fornication is a problem, Jason, is because why it's a moral problem for, for folks is because outside of committed relationship where two people reciprocally accept responsibility 
for the other person, right? Outside of that, when you separate sex from love, you seek pleasure without responsibility. And this is precisely why the separation of politics from ethics is so dangerous, because people who have not attuned themselves to live virtuously are seeking the pleasure of power at the expense of virtue. And it shows up in our communications on social media, where we name call, where we mudsling, where we mischaracterize the opponent's argument, where we make straw men, where we commit all kinds of rational fallacies, mm -hmm. all because what? We want power. And why do we want power? Because we've set aside the task of becoming a good person before, which should come before being a good uh, citizen. And instead, we've tried to be involved in citizenship without being good people. And this pathetic state of affairs is the result. Yeah, it's it seems like what I hear you saying is. Especially in this day and age and how we've set aside ourselves, if, if you're if you're sincerely acting in the small lowercase political, like the lowercase political seems to be as if it's a virus to the political and the because the virus or because the lowercase political is unhealthy, it's it's consistently causing the political or the people to become infected and sick and ill and and maladjusted and dysfunctional because the so how do we well i don't know if the question goes to how do we fix that i think it's obvious i think let's let's sit in it a little um, a minute to observe what it is doing before mm. you and i before you and i got on and we might do a little snippet of this, mm -hmm. but you know there was a temptation of calling calling this episode not politics, not necessarily politics and communication, but politics, the dozens and communication. <laughs> and um, <laughs> if you guys know about the dozens, some of y'all listeners know about the dozens, and, and maybe Tim, Tim, what, what are the dozens, Tim? Let, let, maybe Tim can let us. The, the the dozens is a time honored tradition in African American culture in which people come together and insult one another. Is it healthy, Tim? I, I don't think it's healthy. <laughs> I don't think it's a healthy part of African American culture. Uh, there's been a lot of thought about this, so I don't want to make any definitive statements uh, here, but yeah, it is something, I mean, you know, when I was in high school, Jason, we used to rush to get to school an hour early just so we could sit in the lunchroom and say bad things about everybody else's mom. Mm. You know, your mom's so dumb. I told her to get the four bus. She got the two bus twice. <laughs> your mom's so fat. She sweat gravy. Oh goodness! Your mom's so old; she got Roman numerals on her social security card, right? I mean, these are the things that you do. But to your point, this is what our politics sounds like. 
Right. This is right. the way that we communicate with one another politically. Right. The, the right. Tr- truth and virtue, they all take a back seat to power, to a quest for power. And then people will use things that are supposed to have meaning. Religion. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that next week when right. we talk about religion and communication. Right, Jason? Right, right. People will use religion and they'll just use it just to convince religious people that they need to vote for them. And then in reality, have no interest in religion, except to the extent that it will enable them to stay in what power. power. And why do people want power? They want power because they have bypassed virtue. They have separated politics from ethics. They have thus, they're now seeking then pleasure, the pleasure of power without the real responsibility of human personhood. And this is what makes for the way we talk to each other politically in this day and age. Yeah. And I appreciate that. It's and it's a very it's just a very and this is an understatement. It's a very sad place that we are. But let's be honest, we've been here like we've been here in this mode of of operation when it comes to politics. We've been here for a while. It's gotten on some levels worse. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost a, like a free for all and it's um and it's and it's fair on some level to to do what what we see um being done and to have it just be propaganda or advertisement as if this is just what this is what you do and it's it it has for me it has no end it really has no justification um and it really has no purpose because it it's a cycle. It's like, it's basically like who it's a very adolescent thing. Like you described, we went to school and we came, we went to school early in the morning to come together to talk dozens. These are grown ass people. Forgive me. (laughs) Doing the exact same thing, bro. Mm. So, so what I hear you saying, Jason, is that we are operating in politics, lowercase p, like overgrown teenagers. Yes. We are behaving like children. And the reason we're behaving like children is because we've separated politics from ethics because we want power at the expense of morality. And okay, this is what you get. You know what you get? You know what you get when you separate politics from ethics? You get chattel slavery. That's what you get. Wow. Right? Go, you, go there. You get, you, get, you get a group of people in, in whites who mm-hmm. have decided that they want power. Mm-hmm. So they colonize indigenous land. Mm-hmm. They enslave black people from Africa to help them cultivate the land mm-hmm. and the soil. They proceed then to massacre indigenous people, all while enslaving their own 
all while enslaving uh, their own property, according to them, is chattel. So you reduce people. Notice how notice how this is coming from a person that has not paid attention to themselves, mm. that has not paid attention to ethics, but that is looking for power at the expense of moral responsibility. So that's what you get. You get you get the colonization of indigenous land. You get the slave. You get American chattel slavery and you get now you found documents like the Declaration of Independence that calls indigenous people merciless Indian savages. You get the Constitution of the United States, which does nothing to eliminate chattel slavery, but ensures its perpetuity for the foreseeable future. This is why America was founded twice, once in 1776 and again in 1865, which was the beginning of the end of Civil War and the beginning of Reconstruction. So you're constantly, we are now living in a society, at least in the United States and many other societies around the world, I'm sure, where there's been oppression. And you're living in a society that's constantly trying to play catch up. Mm. That's playing a game of catch up that it can't win because we've gotten so accustomed. Here you go, Jason. We've mm. gotten so accustomed to things being the way they are that we have become uh, consciously competent at oppression. It's just oh. like breathing. It's just like breathing for us. Right. And then when you get people who want to reunite ethics and politics, James Baldwin, Martin Luther King, Frederick Douglass, mm -hmm. right. Ida B. Wells, mm -hmm. Barbara Jordan, mm -hmm. right. Constance Baker Motley, Shirley Chisholm. The list goes on and on. Thurgood Marshall, Paul Robeson. You bring uh, uh, people together. That, and if, as, if you, if you want to understand the race problem in the United States, you don't really have to go any further than this conversation we're having right now, because the, the aim of oppressed people is to reunite what has been parted by oppressors. Oppressors have separated politics from ethics and people who are trying to overcome oppression are trying to reunite ethics and mm -hmm. politics. Dr. King ended up dead from an assassin's bullet because he was trying to bring ethics to the space that we call the political. That's, that's, that's so incredible. And I can't wait till next week because it, because what, what you have said is so profound but what you have also said, what you have also not said, what you brought up just slightly is the fact that how religion was layered onto the in, in, onto and into that entire process, bro. Yes, yes. And now we have, so so here we are in 2022 at midterm elections and African-Americans still do not have their right to vote protected in federal law. And African-Americans who are fighting for criminal justice reform and who are fighting for voting rights protection in federal law are people who are trying their level best to reunite what has been parted since this nation's founding ethics with politics, 
We are uh, uh, black people throughout American history and any other group of people that have fought for freedom in this country, as they will tell you, we have bypassed our human persons and we have sought power at the expense of morality. And this mess that we live in today, Mm -hmm. the glorified dozens that take place in political debates and in social media conversations on Twitter, this is the result of separating ethics from politics. When you do that, you ignore yourself. Now, here you are given to extremes. You get involved. You want power. Now, politics is affecting the political because the people in control have no control of themselves. They just want power. So they make laws and they create oppressive. uh, They create an oppressive space within the political that in America, some African-American scholars have argued, and I tend to agree with them, is simply a bunch of ground that we can't make up. Jason, you and I both like James Baldwin, right? That's our guy. Now, now, you know, Jason will tell y'all James Baldwin is not the kind of dude you just you don't just pick up James Baldwin and start to read him. No, you can't. You yeah. is is too much. It's, I mean, it yeah. is every every syllable every is, is a bar. Every he's I thought you were going to sentence, but you're right. Every syllable you have you have to sit and cogitate on. It is just saturated with meaning. And I, I'm going to talk about this because I'm, I'm writing a book chapter now mm-hmm. uh, for a book that's coming out, edited by uh, Dr. George Yancey, a professor of philosophy at Emory University. And I'm writing a book chapter on white Christian nationalism. And one of the things that happens, according to James Baldwin, when you separate ethics from politics is this. In 1963, James Baldwin was interviewed by Dr. Kenneth Clark, a black psychologist. And Dr. Kenneth Clark asked him what the future of America was. And this was James Baldwin's response. And I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. He says, uh, what white people have got to do is ask themselves, why was it necessary to have a nigger in the first place? Because I'm not a nigger. I'm a man. Mm-hmm. And if you call me a nigger, it, th- it means that you think you need him. And it's your responsibility, white folk, to find out why. And the future of the country depends upon the courage of white people to face that question. To face the question of why it was necessary to have a nigger in the first place. Now, that's what James Baldwin said. Now, when I think about that, mm-hmm. I can't help but think that the bypassing of ethics in favor of politics to gain power and the use or misuse of religion to do that Mm -hmm. would result in the following answer to James Baldwin's question. And I'm not white, but he thinks white folks have got to do this, but I'm going to try to do this on my own here. Mm -hmm. It was necessary to have a nigger in the first place because the nigger is necessary in order for America to be what it is. To put it in theological terms, 
and I, I'm sorry for using the word. I'm sorry if it's going to offend people. And I don't mean to offend people with what I'm about to say, but I want to urge you before I say it to be more offended by the conditions that brought this about than you are by what is about to come out of my mouth. Okay. In John 1, 1, the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The American white supremacist conversion of this is in the beginning was the nigger and the nigger was with America and the nigger was America. The same was in the beginning with America. Mm. American political life is structured on the dehumanization of black people. It is structured on that. And when James Baldwin says that white people have to ask themselves why it was necessary to have a nigger in the first place, he's asking that question because he wants them to confront the reality that the nigger was necessary in order for there to be a country at all. Where would America be without chattel slavery? Jason? Bro, that's that is 100% spot on. <laughs> And the thing is, I've heard you say, and I have listened to James Baldwin enough to hear him say that same thing. And it hits me on a deeper level each time because one, it's so, it's such a raw question. It can give you the status of kind of being like a deer in headlight, whether you're white or black. I'm black from my point of view. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, bro, like he's waxing deep and let me, so let me try to wrap my head around what he says. But the more you and I bring up James Baldwin and this and this statement to or this response to a question in which he flipped to a, a question asking a, that certain question, it really causes not just me to and maybe there's cognitive dissonance in me trying to understand that because that question isn't for me. Like yes, like he said, it's for he said what the white people of this country have got to do is have the courage to face that question. He didn't even say you got to have the courage to ask it and answer it. You just have to have the courage to face that question. And again, I want to I want to offer this disclaimer. I am I am very sorry for those of you who are offended by my use of that word, but please do not allow your offense in this moment to overcome the broader offense of the conditions that bring that reality about. Mm. That is what should offend us. I don't like the word any more than anybody else, mm -hmm. but the fact of the matter is sometimes our speech has to be hard speech. Mm -hmm. The Greeks have a tradition of speech that's called parhesia. It means difficult. It means sometimes it might be unpalatable. Sometimes we might be offended by it. I'm as offended by, by that word as anybody else is, especially as a black person, especially mm -hmm. as an African-American. But what offends me more mm -hmm is the institution of chattel slavery, which is legislated into the foundation of the United States precisely because there were people who decided that 
power was more important than virtue. And so they put ethics to the side and they sought politics, lowercase p, in order to gain power. And they did that at the expense of their fellow human beings. That is what is most offensive, I think, about all of this. I'm just trying to give an example of it and how it works. So that's how we got to where we are, Jason. That's why we don't communicate well politically. I want to add to what the back end of what you were saying. Did you know that there are probably three or four states that uphold you probably didn't know this if I know you, but I'm just going to act as if I, I, I'm doing some enlightening uh, on you. But this, I live in one of these states, th- two, two or three, maybe four different states that hadn't yet banned a certain law that was actually banned during this midterm election. Did you know a form of, of slavery? Um, was banned or dismantled as a law in the state of Tennessee when it came to they made it they made it illegal this past Tuesday <laughs> in the state of Tennessee slavery under the rule um, or with uh, under the rule of punishment like uh, there's certain verbiage and you might know it better than me being a lawyer, but a form of slavery was just was just in 2022 made illegal in the state that I live in after what you said in 1865 when a man when we when when black people, African Americans were emancipated, but a form or layer of that law, that would allow those individuals to be enslaved as a form of punishment was just made illegal or passed that was voted this past Tuesday, bro. I'm not surprised, Jason. I wish I could say that I was surprised. I wish I could say that I was appalled. I I wish I could say that I can't believe that would happen in the United States. But somehow because of American history being what it is, because you want to talk about politics and communication. This is another point that has to be made. Everything that we're talking about now is the reason why some politicians can come out and appeal to disaffected white voters and speak to them in, in a rhetoric that resonates with white supremacy and they can get their votes. You talk about politics and communication. It's like code switching, political code switching. It, it, sometimes it's called dog whistle politics. Mm. Yeah, it's the dog whistle because the only people who are can hear it, who can hear it are the people who are tuned in to that frequency of communication. Because what do we talk about here at Motown Philly, Jason? Communication isn't just what you say, it's what the other people hear. Mm-hmm. And so dog whistle politics, when you start talking about people's jobs being threatened, 
or the value of people's property going down. You're not overtly talking about race and racism. You are using a dog whistle to send a message to the people who think like you that we need to stay in power. Never mind that we are bypassing virtue altogether just because we want political control. And so what ends up happening? Here's a law that just got repealed two days ago that was on the books in the political space with a capital P because you had politicians, lowercase p, seeking power at the expense of ethics and making laws that reflected the imbalanced disposition of their own personhood. Oh, damn, that is so, oh, that's, it's heavy, bro. It's just heavy. It, it is. This is why. This is why we need good people in politics. This is why John Lewis died. God rest his soul. He died a couple of years ago, Jason. And when he died, he said, you have to get in good trouble. Mm-hmm. You have to get in good trouble. John Lewis represents represents a group of people in this country, in African-Americans, who the whole story The whole African-American struggle and story is the story to reunite the ethical and the political. Mm. It's a story to reunite what has been parted, to reunite what belongs together. The same way that a, a man or woman is wrong for sexual promiscuity because they're seeking the pleasure of sex without the responsibility of commitment to the other person Mm. is the same way we can condemn politicians who have separated their thirst for power from Mm. the virtue of the ethical so they get involved in rule of the city or of the political and they end up legislating in ways that are nothing more than crude but terribly accurate reflections of their own moral shortcomings and black people and all other oppressed people for that matter, like John Lewis and other many, many others, we could call the role, Jason. I mean, Constance Baker Motley and Thurgood Marshall, Thurgood Marshall spent his life trying to cause America's rhetoric to, to match its reality, trying to pull the reality up to the rhetoric. You know, when you think of African-American history in this country, you think of somebody standing in a space between what America says and what America America does. does. And the reason why those two things are separate is because the quest for political power has caused those in control to forget about ethics and instead seek power. And you got folks on the other side who are trying to reunite what's been parted to make the world a better place. Kudos to everybody out there who's trying to reunite ethics with politics, because goodness knows we need that reunion. You remember that song by Peaches and Herb, Jason? Reunited and it feels so good. Remember that old R&B tune? Wouldn't it be nice to have a day when ethics and politics come back together and, and we could all sing reunited and it feels so good? That might be a utopia. It might not happen. In, in our lifetime, it may never happen, 
but goodness knows we're better off for it if we die trying to make it happen. Yeah, the, the, the subtlety of communication or the nuance of communication can never be lost there. And it's because just like we started, the individual in this, the individual who seeks to be political, lowercase p, when he divorces himself from his true purpose of being whole, healthy and, and well, goes out into a space, the, into in that space being the political, trying to be lowercase political in an unethical way, it just, it mucks up everything. And it's just like, you can't forget the conversation that you're having with yourself always Mm. so that you can communicate well to those who are outside of you. If you're not doing that, just in your own, in your own political or your own society, your own family, start starting there. If you're not having those conversations, if you're not communicating well with yourself, and then you call yourself a politician or to be in the politics lowercase and trying to be moral, trying to be ethical. If you had never started there, if you haven't understand stood your North star that is shaped and caring, empathetic, compassionate, um, just a lifestyle towards the other person. You're, you're, you're not starting. You haven't, you haven't started. And I guess the the key would just be to you you just don't you don't you can't move you shouldn't move forward and you shouldn't be public and trying to do anything for any type of people because your motives are skewed. I don't know. Well said, Jason. Well said. Wow. We covered a lot of ground today here on politics and communication. Some sensitive mm-hmm. topics again. Please be more offended by the conditions that brought about the N-word than you are by the N-word itself. Please indulge us long enough to understand that we don't speak with any ill will, but that we speak with a passion and a fervor to help make the world a better place, to help the world be left in a condition that's just a little bit better than when we found it. Where can they find you, Jason? You can find me on Instagram at The Speaker's Mechanic. You can find me on Facebook at Jason Hall. Twitter at Jason Hall Speaks. You can find me on it on TikTok at The Speaker's Mechanic. And if you're looking for a communication skills coach, you can find me at my... And you can find me in any one of those places and reach out to me. Tim Golden, where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram at a good golden man. You can find me on Twitter at DRTJ Golden ESQ. And three things in life are certain death, taxes, and I am the only black man in the city of Walla Walla, Washington named Tim Golden. You can find me on Facebook at Tim Golden in Walla Walla. And If you're sharing this podcast, please share the hashtag, share it with the hashtag Motown Philly. You can also share with the hashtag uh, politics and communication here. We want to communicate, connect and build community. And I just want to say thanks to all of you for hanging in there with us today. It's a little bit of a longer episode, a little bit of a a sensitive episode at at points and again jason and i we're not perfect we're just trying to we don't have all the answers we are trying to ask the right questions and we are trying to bring some clarity and some focus 
to a world that that makes it hard to be a good person and uh, we just thank you again for listening and making us part of your lives and Jason we'll be back next week with episode 14 religion and communication later guys see y'all take care